I, I have learned to let go a bit with different things because, you know, if, if something doesn't work, it's good to just be able to be like, that's okay. I'll write something better. This is The Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Carla Patullo always knew she wanted to make music. Her parents insisted that if this was the path she wanted to pursue, she needed to go to school, which is how Carla found herself at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts, one of two women in the music program. Beyond earning a degree, Carla left Berklee with something else, a passion for new and unique music and sounds that she hadn't been exposed to growing up. But it was film scoring that called to her the most. And after a few years of writing music and touring with her band, White Widow, she began to work in the film industry, scoring everything from documentaries to horror films. We recently spoke with Carla about her creative process, the challenges of being an openly gay woman working in a largely male industry, and the balance of creating commercial work to fund the important work. Here's our conversation with Carla Patullo. So I want to start by asking, did you grow up in L.A.? I know you're based in L.A. now, but did you grow up there? No, I actually grew up um, like an hour west of Boston. So I'm East Coast. <laughs> was music always something that was, you know, a passion for you? It was, yeah. Like I... um you know, since I was like, I remember being like a five-year-old having a little toy piano and being obsessed with it. <laughs> and, um, and then it kind of just kept doing it. And, um, and I began writing before I could actually sing or play anything really. And my family kind of, they uh, immigrated from Italy and, you know, none of them had gone to college. <laughs> uh, they came from a very small town and they, you know, said, yeah, you can pursue music, but um, you have to go to music school. So <laughs> I, I did the whole path of going to music school and, and, and stuff and, and then eventually getting into bands and yeah, one thing led to another. So music was clearly always going to be a past, like something that you were going to do. Did you know that that's what you wanted to do for a living? I did. I think like I just, you know, I was just so passionate about it. And I, you know, it always seemed like this thing where it was like, how do I do it? <laughs> but I just like felt like I had to do it. It was just, it wouldn't go away. You know, <laughs> it was this feeling that wouldn't go away. Um, and my family owned a restaurant. And so I kind of grew up in this like, really heavy work mentality all the time. And so I just always tried to find things uh, to make it work, whether it would be teaching kids or, you know, just teaching at a school or anything. I, I just always tried to uh, make it work. I think it's kind of amazing because, I mean, as as I can relate to the child of, of immigrants story, there's always this feeling that you kind of have to live up to something or prove something and so do better than your parents did. Did you ever have any resentment that they forced you to go to school or were you happy that they kind of they, that they suggested that that's what you needed to do. You know, in the end, I was happy. At first, I was, um, I was really, I just wanted to move to New York and just do whatever I thought I was going to 
<laughs> to, 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 you know, play clubs and whatever. But, you know, um, the school I ended up going to was Berkeley in Boston. And um, it's actually, it was actually a really cool experience just because there were so many, most of the students that go to Berkeley are from elsewhere in the world. And it, so it was so cool to meet so many different people and, and, and learn about their music. And so it was actually a really great experience. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the Berkeley experience and what that was like for you? How did it sort of either shape or change the musician that you kind of already were before you even went there? Well, you know, I grew like I grew up listening to radio, like pop radio and rock radio. And so I was writing these songs that were pretty much like pop rock song, you know, as a teenager. And when I got to Berkeley, I was at first I was like, whoa, this is like there's sophisticated jazz everywhere (laughs) and there's classical music. And it was just a lot of music that I hadn't been exposed to early on in my life. So it was like, you know, I I felt a little bit like I got to find my 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 way here and but you know it really opened up my my ears to to different things and you know I, I began to realize like all these different styles that I could you know bring into my own musical world what was the the thing that you discovered while you were there that sort of still sticks with you a lot of my friends were uh, from South America. Uh, a very good friend of mine was from Bogota. And, you know, just kind of the different uh, rhythms and even just like the style of singing that, you know, is just like so free and like, you know, out of this like structured form of, you know, pop music and rock music that I kind of grew up with, like things were off. And it was really cool to kind of get out of this like steady meter. <laughs> You said in the past that voice is your first instrument. Clearly, you started writing even before you started to sing. When did you start to pick up other instruments? Yeah, now it's like really like um, an addiction. (laughs) Yes, I do it all the time now and I have way more instruments than I can play. But I um, first, you know, I began writing and I realized I need to be able to sing and I need to be able to play the piano. And then in film scoring, a lot of times you're doing a lot of textural things. You need an instrument to play a few notes. And so it's like you kind of get tempted all the time. Well, maybe, you know, I can just grab this instrument and add a few things to it. It just started really happening. Like the, the latest instrument I picked up was a cello, which I've wanted to play my whole life. And, um, and I use it uh, mainly for horror stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's how great my cello playing is. But, um, but you know, I, I like to kind of push myself in that way because writing something on a new instrument that you haven't been trained on, it's kind of gives you this freedom of like, just make any sound with it. And there's something very liberating about that when I'm writing. Are you watching like YouTube videos or tutorials on how to play the instrument? Or do you just like jump right in and just start sort of messing around with it? I just jump in and mess around unless it's like really like I'm having a lot of trouble. I'll be like, oh boy, let me see what someone's doing. But I try to just go in and I think fundamentally, you know, learning, I did study voice and I did study piano and those are, are, and and a little bit of guitar and those are really fundamental instruments. So I feel like once you kind of get those instruments down, you can really jump to other instruments. Um, I also was trained on the saxophone young, you know, so some of these instruments, you know, once you learn one level of it, you can kind of push it to the other one and, and take some of that experience. What's the least known instrument that you've picked up? 
I would say, um, hmm, that's a good one. Um, I think like, I mean, there's a lot. I'm just trying to like <laughs> come up with them off the top of my head. But I think like like the flutes, a lot of those type of woodwind instruments where it's not like a reed instrument. So I think, you know, I've always been a bad whistler. <laughs> so, you know, something where I have to really shape my mouth to, to blow into a woodwind like that um, has always been really difficult. So I, I would love to explore that more. I think that's fantastic. You seem like to be this very eclectic person that likes to try lots of new things and new experiences, which I think speaks to the work that you do. Because it not just with the film scoring, because that's one aspect of your career, but I mean, you also do stuff for TV and you write music and you have a band, you do all these various things. I'm wondering, like, when you're approaching a project, do you know kind of like where that project might end up if it's going to be a score or if it's going to be maybe something for TV or something more personal? Or do you just kind of like go with the flow of the creative process? A little bit of both. Like, So I have my baby projects, which are the ones, you know, that usually I'm more involved with in the, the writing and the, um, you know, like story writing. But a, a lot of times I will corroborate with like a filmmaker who's has this score that they need for their film. And, you know, and, and sometimes they don't really, you know, it just lives within the world of the film where it's like they have this piece of art that they've been trying to put together for years and you know and and I get to come in during the last st- step and you know help <laughs> get their vision across but um sometimes like yeah I just do go with the flow like you know especially like with my performance stuff like I'll do shows here and there I don't perform as much as I used to back in the day with my band but of course the pandemic kind of came and kind of put a halt to that too but you know with that I'm just forever just trying to like evolve like you know if I if I come up with different collaborators or meet different musicians kind of spark something new. I wanted to ask a little bit about the film process because it is like you say such a collaborative thing and you know I think it's fantastic that you say you know you you work with filmmakers you're you're working on their baby and it really is like the entire group is giving birth to this vision of really one person, but it really is not just one person's vision. And I'm curious about the process for writing film scores and working so closely with another creative person. And and you work in not just like one genre, which is also fascinating to me. You work like across multiple genres, documentaries, um, you know, horror films, dramatic films. Can you talk a little bit about that entire process? Because that seems very daunting. Sure. Um, Working with like the different genres to me, it's like, I don't even think about that because I just really am attracted to these stories. So the genre part for me is like, oh, I get to have fun over here (laughs) with this genre. So that, that, you know, to me, that's all, all the same, but it's, you know, sometimes I'm brought into a project early on when there's a script and those are, you know, it's, it's, it's really great because I really get this time period of, you know, just working away from the screen and working away from picture. And, and to me, that like allows like me to really let the story sink in my head. Because when you sit down at a computer and you have um, a cut, then everything's starting to become, okay, we got to lock this into picture. We got to make this work timing wise but you're free before then. (laughs) So I I really enjoy that process a lot of being brought in with the script and, you know, really just getting to think about characters and the arc of the film, really. 
and the, of the story. Sometimes, you know, I'm brought in really later <laughs> and it's like, okay, we need something like really fast. And, you know, that's always a challenge, but so there's something beautiful about that too, because, you know, you're kind of relying on your first instinct of the film. And you go in and, and sometimes, you know, that first idea is really like the best idea. <laughs> There's this beautiful part of just kind of taking something in and reacting to it and um, going with your gut. No, I think that's fantastic. And I, I'm curious about, you know, you've spoken quite a bit about uh, your experience making porno, which um, I think was kind of a big milestone for you too, right? I, for years, like, had heard about, like, the Sundance um, Music Sound and Design Lab, and um, and I just kind of had my heart set on it. You know, this was back in 2019, um, I think, uh, or in 2018 or something around there, but um, th- that I did the lab, and they kind of put me on a blind date with Kayla, <laughs> where they just, you know, they take all the composers, there's about eight composers, and they pick eight films, and you just get like they pick what you're doing. And they had set me up with Keola and his film. And it was really cool because I got to use my voice a lot first, which was great. And Keola has like this really like, he's just so in tune with music too. So he kind of had this idea of what he wanted. And I kind of ran with that. And, and I really got to like, put my my voice into it and and some films I can really make the music can be a character in its own right, you know, in this case, there is a, a, a demon, a succubus in the film, and I get to sing as the succubus. <laughs> so it was really fun. Was that like a very different experience from the work that you'd done previously? It was just because of the um, kind of more of the suspenseful part to the film. But in the end, it also there's this quirkiness to it that reminded me of a lot of my previous work and some of my films uh, like Lottie, That Silhouette Girl and stuff like that, where, you know, there's this kind of like fantasy, um, you know, kind of quirkiness to it. So um, in some ways, I was able to, to really connect that. Yeah, like almost like a playfulness as well, like a lightness to it. Yeah. When you start to write for like a project like Porno or Lottie where 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 you're you're writing the music as well. When you start, do you do you start with like pen and paper? Do you start with an instrument? Do you go right to the computer? Like what's your process for actually the creative getting the creative juices flowing? You know, usually what I'll do, and it, it does depend a bit on the film, but usually what I do is I start thinking about the instrumentation early on just so that I can go and sit like at a piano or, or, or just sit hum things, you know, in my, with my voice. And, you know, I use my recorder on my phone a lot to think of melodies and stuff. Or, you know, on the guitar or synthesizers, I'll go just play around. <laughs> this is where the fun happens. And I'll just like play around and, you know, start thinking of ideas. And, and some, sometimes like I won't even use some of that stuff in the score, you know, sometimes it's like trial by error, but, but I'll write like some melody that I can, you know, then switch to something else. And it's like, Oh, that actually really works. So it's a lot of experimentation and, but getting away from the computer is really nice at first, you know, I've really grown to like set this boundary (laughs) because so much of film composing work is done on computers now. And it's so, um, really just allowing myself to be away from it at first and to think about the story is, is my process at first. Yeah. 
So is that a lot of like sitting and just thinking without any instruments? I think sometimes like thinking, thinking stuff out loud and just kind of, you know, uh, I, I walk a lot and I'm kind of just think about things and jot some notes down. I think a lot of times um, I just really kind of like to to play in my my little studio and just pick up an instrument and just play freely. You mentioned that, you know, a lot of the times when you're experimenting and trying new things that might not even make it into the score. Is that stuff that you kind of, do you keep like a, a notebook or a recorder or a, a folder on your desktop that's like discarded ideas that you might go to at some point later? I do. You know, I have a lot of stuff that I keep and I've, I try to, to be nicer to myself by keeping them because sometimes I'll, I'll write something and I'm like, it's not right. And I'll just kind of chuck it. <laughs> I've gotten better at like saying, you know, this is just not the r- right project for it. Let me put it aside. Maybe it'll come back some point. I, I have learned to let go a bit with different things because, you know, if, if something doesn't work, it's good to just be able to be like, that's OK. I'll write something better. <laughs> Is it difficult to do that when you're on a project where you've come in really late and maybe don't have the luxury to be able to say, well, you know, I really can't start over again. I need to push through. Yeah, no, it is. You know, like pushing through is something that you got to do, especially if you have this theme that, you know, is in a few different parts of the film. And then, you know, I mean, it's happened to me before. I'm like deep into the movie where I've already placed that theme throughout the movie. And I'm like, do I really like that theme? (laughs) But you got to just go with it and, you know, fix it as you go. I think I am working like with a director and they ultimately have the final say of what they like. So sometimes it's just really following what they want to. Do you have those moments where you're blocked, where you can't, you can't just see past it? How do you um, sort of like recenter yourself and, and, and like reset so that you can actually like maybe start from scratch or look at it in a different direction? Like what's your process for kind of getting over blockage? Sometimes I like to peel things away. If I'm in a uh, working on a queue and I'm like something's not working here, I like to just peel away some of the layers and say, okay, what is working? And is there anything here that's really working? <laughs> and and sometimes it's like the thing that I loved playing the most. This always gets me. Like the thing thing that I love playing and I loved on its own doesn't really work with everything else. And I have to just say goodbye. It's like killing your darlings, you know, but I have to just kind of let it go and, re- and realize that, okay, if I take this away, this works so much better and it leaves room to write something else. And, but, you know, if I have to start from scratch, I'll, what I'll do is really actually just walk away from that, that cue and go to another cue or even work on another project just to get the cleanse. <laughs> you know? Well, that's interesting. So do you always, do you usually have multiple projects going at the same time as a way to sort of have a, you know, be able to jump back and forth if you do get blogged? I do. First of all, I have some of my personal projects, like I've been working on a musical, I've been working on a film. And, you know, so those projects are always there, <laughs> you know, and there and, and then, you know, between like, like right now, I'm working on a, a comedy. Um, and then I'm also working on a documentary. And I've kind of go back and forth. A lot of the times I go back and forth because there's specific deadlines for each project. But, um, but it does help in so many ways. It's like, you know, being able to go back and forth can help. And, you know, especially if I'm stuck on something. 
how did you stumble or f- discover Lot? And what was it about her that has inspired you to not only do the short film, but also work on a falling documentary? I stumbled on her when I was in grad school, like 10 years ago. I was studying film score- scoring and I was looking for a silent film to, to score. And um, my partner and I, my partner, you know, she's also the co-director with me for the film. And, and she actually found a clip of uh, Cinderella, Lottie's 1926 version. And uh, I'm sorry, 1922 version. And she's like, oh, you should score this. And I took a look at it. and I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And and I, I just, it was beautiful and dark. And I was like, I want to score this for my project. And so it became my thesis project. You know, I just think of Lottie as this, um, like, big chest of, like, beautiful <laughs> things that keep coming out of uh, the projects I work on with her. Because, uh, you know, through that, this film, this short film, I submitted it to a few festivals and started doing um, this festival journey with it. And through that, I discovered, learned more about who she was and what she, you know, what a pioneer she was in the field of animation. And through the festivals, I realized, um, you know, in particular, I went to the Savannah Film Festival and they have a a really great school there uh, for our uh, SCAD. And a lot of the people after the, the screening who were students there hadn't known who Lottie was. And that really fired me up <laughs> because I'm thinking, you know, because I, I really didn't know much about animation before Lottie. And um, and that really, like, fired me up because I was like, how is it that she's, you know, just been left out as this critical, you know, person in history? And, and that kind of inspired the short doc. Then through the short documentary, all of a sudden we started hearing uh, from people that knew her personally and shared so much more with us. Um, and so then the film we're working on now is just, it's about her and kind of her, uh, you know, her period after uh, her husband died and she kind of came back into film, which actually a lot of that took place in Canada. So it's just been this thing where we've just been un- uncovering more about her. And, you know, as an artist, I'm just really inspired by her because I just, I just feel like she had so many things that she had to, you know, she had to go through the, the war. She went through losing so much grief with her husband and not being recognized as a woman. These, these, these are a lot of things that I can, I can relate with. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate with. And so, but just how she just kept doing it her whole life, whether people knew about her or not, or whether she got the success or she just stuck with it. And I think that's really beautiful that she did what she loved until she died. Well, and I, you know, it's funny that you say that because that, it seems to me like that speaks very closely to your experience. I mean, the reality of it is that you work in an industry that is mostly male dominated. There really are not a lot of female composers out there. So you are also pioneering in your own way and you're pushing through and doing the work that you love, uh, regardless of who's listening. And I think that that's so inspiring to people. Was it ever scary to you knowing that you were going into this industry where, you know, you were always going to be in a disadvantage simply because you're a woman. For me, it actually started in the band world. I think in the band world, or even at school, like back when I was doing my undergrad at Berkeley, there were two women in the class. I know it's changed dramatically, but you know, I think like 
you know, and, and, and it's funny because like right now I'm realizing all the projects, um, the film projects I'm working on are by female directors. So that's, you know, been really great. Um, but it, it's, yeah, I think kind of always been with me that there's this thing. I think also, you know, being gay is another <laughs> thing, you know, and it's just like, you know, and I think you just got to keep going. I have no, no choice. You know, you just got to, because I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate about film scoring and it's what I got to, I want to do. And so I have to, I have to find my way through it. <laughs> do you ever look specifically to work with individuals or on projects that speak to you on more than just a creative level, like that they're important for some other reason? Yes. Especially like, you know, I've done a lot of stuff with uh, LGBTQ themed stuff especially there's always this challenge like you know I need my studio I need to make a certain amount of money to keep my studio to keep my everything going but then you know it's unfortunate because I think there's a lot of stories that get buried or they don't have the funding and I, I try to keep my options open with those and take on those films and balance that out because I think that's really important um, to hear those voices. They basically have one big festival, you know, I, I know there's more, but like, you know, like Outfest, for example, is this great outlet for it. And so I try every year to be a part of that somehow. It's also just great to have films that put a smile on people's face, but it's also great to have films that are helping people get over trauma. And You know, you, you mentioned this concept that, I mean, in the reality of it is you need to pay the bills, you need to eat, you need to put a roof over your head. And, you know, one of the things that I that I always kind of internally smirk at is this concept that, oh, I, but I'm an artist, you know, I can't just put my music everywhere. <laughs> can, can you talk a little bit about this, this concept of like being precious with your work and, and not, I don't want to say overvaluing it, but, you know, not letting it go to certain things or, or placing it somewhere because it's too commercial. When I first started out as a songwriter, um, I got a lot of placements on soap operas, you know, and, you know, that's network television here. And those songs to me, I think, I think what was cool about that in a way, at least, was that it was songs I had written for an album. So the music itself was very personal to me. But it happened to land on like a soap opera. I think it's that I think people sometimes are a little bit too hard on themselves about that type of thing. Because if if the integrity in making the art was there, I think like the fact that it gets placed on other places, I, for me personally, I'm okay with that. Because it's like, I do need to keep my studio open. So I can take on this small project, this small LGBTQ project that doesn't have a lot of funding or in a way it's like allowing you to be even more of an artist. So I always think, you know, it gets more ears to your work. You know, people start to recognize your, I mean, and you have a very distinctive sound. Your voice is very distinctive. Um, so I, I could see why, you know, it would be helpful for artists to have their music out there because, you know, I, I'm constantly like, what is this artist that I'm listening to on this TV show that I just watched? Because, wow, that was really great. Yeah, I think that, you know, unfortunately, we live in a time where maybe the artists aren't, I mean, this is a whole other big discussion, but like, you know, like the Spotify and all these, these companies aren't really paying artists properly, you know, in the same sense, you, you gotta, you want people to hear your music as well. So it's a tough cookie. How do you personally deal with that? Like every, uh, <laughs> I think like a lot of musicians, you know, with 
Spotify, it's been a roller coaster and, and, and just kind of like UK, you can say, oh, I'm going to go and band camp or whatever and or put just stuff on my website. But then, you know, you kind of run into these walls like where you're not really getting your music out there to as many people or it's not as convenient. I think that's what's brilliant about these companies is that they make it so easy and convenient to find people and everybody's music's in this one app. And so you're kind of in there. But, you know, I'm really hoping that, you know, some laws will be passed that really do help artists at this point. You know, I think as film composers and TV composers are kind of worried about their royalties right now on like the streaming services. And so hopefully something will be done with that because it is a little bit of a a scary situation. (laughs) For sure. And I mean, I expect the pandemic hasn't been helpful at all in the whole creative process either. I mean, as somebody that, you know, you score projects where you often use, you know, large groups of people playing instruments. How has the pandemic affected how you work? Things have thankfully been, you know, have opened up here. I've had a few recording sessions in my studio. Um, But, you know, during the pandemic, it was really, it was really tough with a lot of like, kind of the bigger projects where I needed bigger ensembles. And so I ended up doing a lot of remote recording, which worked out pretty well. I mean, it worked out good enough. <laughs> Let's just say that like under, you know, it's good enough. I always prefer to be in the, the room or in the studio with the musicians. It's just, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, a more intimate experience, but you know, I will say this really beautiful thing that I saw was that a lot of independent filmmakers really kept things going. And I was just like, wow, like I'm like, kudos to you for getting this film done during the pandemic. That's amazing. So I, I really saw that and, and and that meant me maybe just stripping down the score more and just doing something more simple. Did the pandemic also affect um, Shadowmaker? In a way it did. Um, I mean, like in the beginning, we were able to really hone in on it, but then it's kind of like, Okay, I pretty much started taking a lot of projects that I could take at that time, you know, because there was so much unknown about work and stuff. So at times we had to put it aside because, you know, it's like we got to focus on paying all our our bills and, you know, making sure everything is lined up like that. So we're basically now like, you know, still in the early process of Shadowmaker with the uh, script and in pre-production. Hopefully everything is turning around. I mean... Um, more and more, I, I think we've all gotten better with the technology <laughs> of connecting. But I, I am hoping that, you know, the bigger ensembles, working with bigger ensembles is going to happen um, soon. What is it about being in the room that kind of changes the process of creating, of like recording the music? With a, like, say a Zoom conversation or like we have this other app that we use and Source Live and it's great, but like you're still not there and you it's, even hearing some of the subtleties in your in your headphones and like, you know, whereas when you're in a really nice studio, you can hear everything crystal clear you can make adjustments very fast, you know, instead of being like, I say a note to the engineer, then the engineer has to relay that note to the musicians, you know, in another language, because I I was recording a lot in Budapest. And, and so, you know, so it's just like a lot. And when you're working on a score, like, you're really tight on time down to every second, you want to be recording as much as possible, because it's, you know, you're paying for like, you know, 40 musicians in the room. (laughs) 
it gets a, a little intense like that. One of the things that I've come to realize as I've got, I've listened to more and more film scores, which has become a thing for me now, there's always way more music than you actually get to see in the film. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about like what, like how much music are you, like for your average movie, how much music are you actually recording? And then how much is actually going into like the score? And then how much is actually in the movie itself? By the time I get to the recording session, I do have, I'm only recording the music that is in the film. Usually that's about, I mean, it really depends on the film, but like for feature film, that's, you know, anywhere from 50 to like, uh, it could be like 80 minutes of music, I think, uh, plus, depending on how long the film is. And of course, like there's so many cues that get, you know, sometimes a lot of cues get cut. And that music, I keep all pretty much MIDI. And so that by the time, the, you know, because in the recording session, it's so expensive to be recording with musicians. It's recording extra stuff just doesn't really happen. There are times when once it gets to the dub stage, you know, maybe something can get shortened another edit happens. You know, usually what I end up recording, like the 50 minutes ends up being in the movie. But I've, gosh, how many minutes I, I write before the recording session? I don't even keep track of that. <laughs> There's no time. <laughs> it's never ending. It's endless. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do you work? Do you also work with like when so when you, you when you have the music that's going to actually go into the film and you have an idea of where the cues are? Are you now at that point working with like the other sound like sound engineer and the director? Like how does that relationship work to kind of get like the perfect final package? Different projects are at different, you know, happen differently. But generally, I think, you know, it's really great when a sound designer is on board with me early on. Um, and of course, like more films are more like sound design heavy, like, you know, but, um, but that's always amazing because, you know, a lot of times the collaboration with a sound designer, you know, we both don't want to go in there doing the same thing. You know, we want to kind of divvy it up a bit and have our own purposes in the film. Otherwise, we'll just cancel each other out, you know. And then as far as with like with post sound, you know, I, I usually end up like delivering all my files and stems to them. So that they have a little bit of flexibility, uh, you know, uh, flexibility going into that. And um, and then once I get to the, um, sometimes I'll go to that post-sound mix and, um, you know, really um, kind of give my input as much as I can. You know, I'm not, again, it's up to the director, uh, but I try to make things easier. Um, I personally am the type of composer that really loves other people's input on it. And even if it means lowering my music at certain points, because, you know, I really want the film to be the film. It's not about my music. You know, it's not like <laughs> my, my music's helping the film. And, and I think that, um, you know, being able to, to be there to offer any type of help is really my goal with that. One of the, the themes that sort of has come up in the conversation is this idea of collaborative work and sometimes having to let go of things that are precious to you in service of the, 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 the art. Is that something that has always been with you or is that something that sort of has developed over the course of your career? It's definitely developed. <laughs> um, it's definitely developed. I think what really kind of helped me 
to do that is uh, really film scoring. I think, you know, once I started working on films, you know, because before then I was really doing a lot of solo work and, you know, you can, you really can do whatever you want as a soloist. (laughs) But, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it, it took me a while to really like see like this director made this call and then, you know, of course, you know, I'd be grumpy about it at first, but then, you know, I think coming to the realization that, oh, they were, they were totally right about that. And, and it, then I realized, yeah, it's, it's hard because you're, you're in a studio all the time listening to your music, to the picture, and you hear it over and over again. And then you, you, you want to hear it the same way every time. And then it's like through film scoring, I've learned that, you know, you kind of get this love for the music. Directors have temp love, we call it, when they have temp in there. And you kind of get that love for your own music, like it should be at this level or it should be here in the mix. And um, I think film scoring really opened up my my ears to letting that go. I'm curious if you have any um, artists, be it composers or other musical artists, that inspire you. Yeah, I mean... That I have a, a very a very long list um, of composers, <laughs> a lot of a lot of women composers. You know, I've studied with Laura Cartman. She's a really amazing uh, film composer, and you know, and you know, I love her her music. It's just very um, very free, and 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 uh, she just really supports films very well with her her music. And um, also Jermaine Franco is someone who I've really listened to a lot lately. She was just up for an Oscar um, for Encanto. Um, I've been really inspired by, you know, she does a lot of animation work. So it's been really great to listen to. I like a lot of older composers too that have passed. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith is one of my favorite composers. Yeah, I've, you know, I have so many. (laughs) And do you look for inspiration outside of music as well? I love to listen or love to watch a lot of art, like, you know, a lot of movies. Uh, so I even just like listen to, you know, not necessarily the score, but I do get inspired by ideas, you know, I like, like animation, something I really love. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I, I've always wanted to be better at like meditation, m- meditating, but like, I've, I've really been getting into stuff like that. And I feel like it's kept my, um, kept my mind kind of clear a lot and been a good cleanser for going between things. What is it about animation that speaks to you? Cause you, you've mentioned animation now a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, I just love the, like that it's this delicate, like frame by frame thing, right. Where every little intricate thing makes this huge, bigger thing. And, and, and I also love that, like, there's this, uh, it just feels like this infinite possibility of like where, you can take the story and, you know, and metaphorically take the story, you know, and, and I don't know. I just, I think there's this beautiful like world you can create that is like, not just so literal. What would you want to do more scoring for animated films? I think for me, I kind of tend to gravitate more towards more kind of adult theme stories like, or, you know, like I'm kind of quirky in my way, but I don't think I'm like, so much like kid quirky, you know what I mean? With, uh, or like, and, and maybe that's just my interpretation of, you know, so many years of like, you know, watching as a kid Disney films and kind of having that, what Lottie calls that sugary <laughs> fairy tale <laughs> world. I think I kind of have naturally this kind of darker, uh, vibe to my music. So 
That might frighten kids a bit. <laughs> well, I mean, there is always the Tim Burton animated film. You know, that would be a perfect fit, right? I do love Tim Burton and I do love Danny Elfman. He's probably one of the composers I should have said before, but he is, you know, very much one of my favorite composers. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about inspiration and, and, and growth. If there was something that you could tell like your young self as you were coming into this industry, knowing and having learned all the things that you've learned so far, what would you tell yourself? I think I would tell myself to take my time and not worry about, you know, where I want to get to and really just live in the present time and, and, um, make the music that you want to make, you know, and, and really like, you know, not worry about the end game, just do what you love doing. And that was our conversation with composer and musician, Carla Patullo. You can find out more about Carla and her work on her website at carlapatulo.com. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits by Michael Edlin. Editing and additional production support by Joshua Peterman. For more about SparkCG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.